Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Uh, Good morning again, everyone who's here and watching us online. I want to take a moment to recognize and honor all who have served in the past and who are currently serving in our armed forces. We definitely appreciate and thank you for your service and don't take it lightly. A round of applause for all of our servicemen and women, please. God bless you. Today we're continuing in our series, Give Thanks. How many of you were here last week? Yeah, I see most hands. Awesome. How many of you have, have something to, to be thankful for? How many of you feel thankful? I see most hands. That's good. That's good. How many of you know that we have more to be thankful for than we have to not be thankful for? Amen? Amen. We know that, right? It's very easy to see the, see the, the cup as, as half empty. But if we really stop and look at all the blessings and all the things that, that go in our favor and the work that God is doing in our lives, we really have a lot more to be thankful for than not thankful for. And there's a lot of different ways that we can show our thankfulness, a lot of different ways that we can show our gratitude and that we're grateful to God for things he's done for us, things that he's given to us, things that he's kept us away from. That's important as well. And one of those ways that we can show that, that, that gratitude and that thankfulness is pretty simple. And it's literally just our growth. How he sees us growing is something that we're showing thanks and gratitude to him in. So we can definitely show our gratefulness to God and give thanks through growth. That's today's message, giving thanks through growth. We're going to jump right into the main scripture reference for today, Acts 9, 20 through 31. It'll be on the screens if you don't want to read the print in front of you or if you're not following on, on, a, on your phone or a device. Acts 9, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the, to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his points that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him, they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews 
uh, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that it is a light unto our feet, Lord, and I pray right now you would start to speak to us, Father God. Any, any walls that we have up, Father God, I pray that you would break those down, that you would give us, Lord, you would give us ears to hear what you might be trying to say today, Father. I pray that any, any preconceived notions we have or opinions we have on different areas, Father, Lord, I pray that you would, you would minister to our hearts and our minds today and that you would give us um, eyes to see, Father God, and ears to hear. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do, Lord, and we ask that you would be blessed today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's make sure we're on the right page right from the starting here. Who is Saul? Paul. Saul is Paul. Paul is Saul. You see, Saul was Paul's Hebrew name. Paul was Saul's Roman name. So we look at this as a, as a name switch, but he was always Paul, and he was always Saul in terms of actual name, okay? But this is the same Paul that wrote half of the New Testament, the same Paul. And you see, um, Saul had, had repented from his, his former way of living, and he had put his trust in Jesus, and he'd, be, he'd been forgiven all of his sins, and he invited the Lord to become the leader of his life, his Lord and his Savior. Now, what did that look like in Saul's life? Did it make a difference in what he did and the way he thought, the way he saw things? Absolutely it did. It made an absolute incredible difference in the way he lived his life moving forward from that time after his encounter and his being saved by Jesus. Amen? He made a complete 180-degree turn and began to live every single moment of his life for Jesus. And I do believe that the, the change of the name, the use of his Roman name, moving from Saul to Paul, I do believe that there's significance in that. And I do believe it's a representation of the transformation from the old to the new. Now, we can learn a lot about Paul. We can learn a lot from Paul. Remember, even though the Bible, when you read it, it will look like Paul was like this superhero. Like, he did all these things. Paul was amazing. He's who I want to be. Look at his faith. Look at his boldness. Look at the stuff he did. Don't forget, Paul was just a man. Just like you, just like me, he put his pants on one leg at a time. Paul was a man. And again, as he looked like a superhero, I'm positive if you were to, if you were to talk to, to Paul, if you were to talk to Saul, all the things that he accomplished, he would absolutely say it was all God. It was all God. He knows where, his power, where the power came from. He knew that he couldn't do anything on his own. It was all God. Paul's life especially his early Christian life, 
is an example, and it shows us how, how we need to keep growing. Now, why does that matter? Why does growth actually matter? Well, because every person who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, as their forgiver and their leader, needs to keep on growing. You have to keep on growing. Growing in your faith, growing in your understanding, growing in your convictions, growing in your boldness, growing in your strength, growing in your willingness, it's a big one, growing in your willingness to forsake what the world says and focus and follow on what the Father says. Amen? So what does a growing Christian look like? What does a growing, and I don't mean growing Christian in this way. I mean a spiritually growing Christian. What does it look like? Well, today I'm going to give you four characteristics of someone who is growing spiritually. Your first one, a growing Christian always seeks to know who Jesus is. Always seeks to know who Jesus is. Verse 20 says, Paul immediately began to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he was only able to do this after his, his personal encounter with Jesus. And if you don't know that story, we're talking about the story where, where Jesus, on the road to Damascus, he, he encountered Jesus and was, he, was, he was hit off of his horse. And the Lord spoke to him on that road to Damascus. So only from his personal encounter, and not everyone has the same personal encounter that Paul had, but his personal encounter followed up by actually spending time with God. How many of you know that the fact that he had that initial encounter with Jesus is not what helped him to grow? He had to actually spend time with the Father. As Paul got to know Jesus better and better, he was able to boldly tell people without any doubt that they should and why they should put their trust in him. You see, Paul's knowledge of Christ wasn't limited to his encounter just on that road to Damascus. That must have been pretty scary and awesome at the same time, probably. But, it wasn't, but, but that wasn't it for Paul. Paul talked to Jesus daily after that. I, I'm almost going to say, I'm not going to, but I'm almost tempted to say, how many people talk to Jesus daily more than just saying grace before you eat. I'm not going to ask you to put, your, put up your hand. I should, I should, though, but I'm not going to. But if you just read some of the letters that Paul wrote, remember, as I said, he wrote half of the New Testament. If you read some of the letters that he wrote, you can see clearly that Paul spent a lot of time praying, spent a lot of time with Jesus after that. If you look at those letters, he tells several, several individuals and churches that he's praying for them. He's the one that tells people to pray without ceasing. He tells the Corinthians that he prays in tongues more than all of them. So if he is talking to the church in Corinth and all the people in the city of Corinth, not knowing what they're doing, but he says, I don't even need to know what you're doing. I know I'm praying in tongues more than all of you. Clearly, he knows he's praying a lot. Amen? That makes sense, doesn't it? Paul's goal was to stay as close to Jesus as he possibly could. He wanted to be locked at the hip 
with Jesus. And that was the only way that he could really get to know him better, know him more and more. Paul, Paul's goal to know Jesus can be seen more in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now these words were written by an elderly Paul who knew that the end of his life was near. He had already served Jesus for many years, but his primary goal, even at an elderly stage, even after serving for all those years, his primary goal was still to get to know Christ better, still to get to know God more. Let me tell you something. If we ever get to a place where we don't think we need to pursue knowing Jesus more, that's when our spiritual growth will come to a standstill. If you ever feel that you know God and you don't need to know God more, that's where your spiritual growth absolutely will come to a halt. I don't want that to happen in my life, and I'm sure you don't either. So we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us seek to know him more. Help us to pray, sharing our hearts with him. Help us to worship, sharing our praise with him. Help us to do what he says, showing our obedience to him. It's one thing to hear what he says, and it's a total opposite thing to do what he says. Amen? We suffer from that as a society. So do you know who Jesus is? Actually, let me, let me ask what I think a better question is. Are you getting to know who Jesus is? Because if we're getting to know him, then, we'll, then we are fulfilling the purpose that we are created for. And we'll do so forever and ever and ever. Even after 10,000 years we will not be able to say that we know everything about Jesus. We'll never be able to say that. Why? Because he is infinite. We'll never know everything about God. But I want to tell you what's a, a, really, a really cool perspective. The fact that there's this God that's so big, so infinite, that we'll never understand, wants to know you, wants to know me. It would be more realistic to try and empty the entire ocean one bucket at a time than to arrive at a place where you know everything about God. It's just not going to ever happen. But he wants to know you. He wants to know me. And I take comfort in that. So, growing, so a growing Christian makes it a life goal to know Jesus more and more on a personal level. Not just what I hear about Jesus, what I know about Jesus, amen? Second characteristic of a growing Christian is seen in their desire to grow and become all God wants them to be. A growing Christian embraces the growth process. Verse 22 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed 
the Messiah. That means as much as he would say, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't catch him on anything. They couldn't say, aha, but they couldn't get him. All of the training that Paul had received under Gamaliel, and who Gamaliel was, he was a well-known, respected rabbi and leader in the Jewish Sanhedrin. You know, all that training was a part of God's plan to shape Paul into the person that he became. He had a stellar, stellar understanding of God's word. And as the Holy Spirit brought that knowledge to life, so he learned all this stuff, but as the Holy Spirit connected with that information and brought it to life, Paul was able to share passionately and knowledgeably about God's plan to forgive and restore people's lives through his Messiah, Jesus. Paul knew that God had been, had been preparing him for this time for his entire life, and he embraced what God wanted to do in him and what God wanted to do through him. Verse 23 says, after a while, and in the NIV it says, after many days had gone by. Several Bible scholars believe that the phrase many days is a span of about three years, which Paul spent in Arabia and Damascus. It isn't clear in the Bible what he did during this time. These, 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 these supposed three years, it wasn't clear if he was just in solitude, if he was in seclusion spending time with the Father, more than likely, understanding Paul's demeanor, he was probably looking for anyone who would listen or anyone he could get, get a second with to tell them about the Messiah, to tell them that Jesus has come and he is the Christ. Probably to the people in Arabia and Damascus is probably what he was doing, but, but the Bible isn't clear on what he did in that time. But either way, um, we know that as a result, Paul grew. We do know that as a result of the, uh, the, the, the work that he had put in and what was instilled in him and the connection of the Holy Spirit, that he was growing and became, he became who God wanted him to be. Paul totally embraced the growth process and began to use the passion and the gifts God had given him. He began to preach the gospel right away, the Bible says. He knew what God's will was for his life, no longer was he resisting God and his will. Now he was fully cooperating with the one he had formerly persecuted. Fully cooperating with him now. But that begs the question, how about us? How about you? Huh? Where are you growing? Are you cooperating with what you sense is God's will for your life? Do you share Jesus with others? Do you share Jesus with others only when it's comfortable? Or do you share Jesus with others regardless? Do you look for opportunities to talk about Jesus or bring him into the equation? Or do you keep Jesus in this box, my Sunday box, and then my regular life in this box. We're not all called to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, 
pastors or teachers. However, we are all called to be witnesses for Jesus. It's getting quiet in here. Is it because it's cold? Hopefully it's sinking in. Now there's something that I've been, I've been wrestling with a, a little bit in, in thinking about this, this message and preparing this message. And, and um, I feel as if the Lord is, is, is wanting me to say this, despite the fact that it's a very controversial type statement in our society nowadays. But I would rather do what I believe God would have me do than, make, than tickle people's ears. So this is, this is essentially you know, what's, been, what's been on my, on my heart. Um, and if I can say this kind of plain and straight, I think in a lot of cases the church is not doing a good job of standing on its foundation. Very general statement here, because it doesn't apply to everyone, but our society is full of hypocrisy, full of compromise, and full of hate. We are living in a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah right now. The stuff we look at and we accept or we turn a blind eye to, what do you think God's opinion is on that stuff? Things that have become so mainstream to us that it's like, eh, eh, that's normal, no big deal. What do you think God feels about that? But we turn a blind eye to it. You know, and I, and I hear sometimes people say, you know, well, what do you think? And it's an easy response and a typical response I see from a lot of Christians that say, well, I'm not God. Who am I to judge? I want to tell you, Christian, that that's not the right answer. Why? Because, yes, you're not God. That's right. But no, God has given us his word, and in his word, he gives clear and explicit explanations and guidance and direction on what is okay and what is not okay. It's in his word. So if we know that God says this is a sin, and someone says, what do you feel about it? You can't say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not God, I can't judge. You can say, God's word says that is a sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the I'm not God, I can't judge is not the right answer when his book has clearly said I am against this. Does that make sense? But, we, but, we, but we're, we're very soft with it. And I'm, I'm, being, I'm not trying to judge anyone. <laughs> no pun intended. I'm not trying to judge anyone. And I'm not trying to be sound condemning to anyone. That's not my intent. I'm just calling it as I see it. And I feel as if this is what the Lord is saying. When I, when I hear things about um, sexual orientation, I was born this way. When I hear things about men can have babies. When I hear things about you can pick your gender based on how you're feeling. I want to tell you, this is going to be a very unpopular statement. But it won't be for those who are really truly wanting to know and grow and learn more about God. Those things I said, there is a demonic spirit behind it. I'm not trying to offend. I'm telling you what it is. There is a demonic spirit behind it. 
you can know if you look and take and just stop and look at it. God's, God's word says this. It's, it couldn't be further from God's word. But we're supposed to accept it in, our, in, in, in society. It's supposed to be okay. And if you don't accept it, you're the bad guy. You're the bigot. It's, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. And as I said, I'm not saying this to, content, to condemn anyone. But if we know better and we accept the wrong just because we don't want to go against the grain or offend anyone, we are choosing the world over choosing God because we know better. Back to our regularly scheduled program. We are called to be witnesses for Jesus. Amen? We can testify about what he's done in our lives and show others that there's hope for them. Are you using and developing the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the passions that God has given you? And a quick word of warning, if you're not, if God has given you talents and abilities and you're not using them, it's possible you might lose them. Just some food for thought. So if we want to grow, let's keep getting to know Jesus. And let's fully embrace the growth process that God is taking us through. A third characteristic of growing Christians has to do with facing adversity. Number three, a growing Christian learns how to handle conflict. There are at least three occasions in today's text where Paul had to face opposition from people. The first one was the Jews in Damascus tried to kill Paul. Acts 9.23 said, After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night, at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Next, the Christians in Jerusalem initially rejected Paul out of fear. Acts 9, 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Third, the Grecian Jews in Jerusalem tried to kill Paul. Acts 9. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Now, we may never face the intense hatred or fearful rejection that Paul faced, and that's something to be thankful for all in itself, but we will all probably at some time in our life have to endure some level of opposition. Some level of opposition. Some of it can be easy to handle. Some of it might be pretty heavy. But when that happens, how are you going to respond? How do you respond right now? If you find somebody doesn't like you or somebody um, has misunderstood you, for, say, for example, how do you react? How are you going to react to that? The most common reaction nowadays is for us to take offense, right? Take our ball and go home. 
feel hostile towards that individual or that group. Totally avoid them. Suddenly, that group or those individuals, they can do no right in your eyes. They are total idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Why? Because we watch, we, because we see them now through a clouded lens of being offended. Growing Christians have to find a better way to respond to opposition because opposition is coming. Not if, it is coming. We have to do better. We have to find a way to respond better. So if the opposition in the form of being wronged comes from another believer, a believer whom we normally fellowship with, well, we should try to work it out with them in private. You should go to that person and try to work it out with them in private. If that doesn't work, the Bible says to take one or two witnesses with you and try to work it out. If that still does not work and the other person does not listen, then the Bible says we are to take it to the church. And let me be clear on that. That means bring it to the church leadership. It doesn't mean start gossiping about that person in the church body. Bring it to the church leadership. If that still does not resolve the matter, the Bible says we are to disassociate ourselves with that person. However, we aren't to allow this to be a, become a personal offense against us. We shouldn't take up a grievance and carry it around with us all day long because this offense happened. Furthermore, this is where I think some, some people get into trouble. Furthermore, we should not speak evil of the other person or engage in gossip about them. We should not. Now, what if the opposition comes from someone who's not a believer? Because what I just said is the biblical way to handle conflict. What if, the, what if the opposition comes from someone who is not a believer? Well, here's what Jesus said about it. Matthew 5, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love them and pray for them. Much easier said than done. But the Bible says, love them and pray for them. This also applies, just so you know, this also applies in the case of the believer. You don't have to, you don't get a pass and not love on the, on the believer as well. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Understand that what's fighting against you isn't necessarily the person, but it might be something in the person. There might be a spirit in the person. The devil knows how to, how to, how to, how to, how to get at us. You know that, right? The devil knows what bothers you. So I'm not trying to say that every attack against you is a demonic attack. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the devil, the devil oftentimes, well, I'm going to say the devil every time is playing chess. And a lot of times we're playing checkers. The devil knows how to position stuff that's going to get you right where he wants to get you to see if you're going to fall. How's XYZ going to respond when I do this? We need to start playing chess too. See it for what it is. 
I remember a good friend of mine once, and I'm not going to call any names, a good friend of mine once um, was, was having a discussion with someone, and the discussion wasn't necessarily a, 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 a happy discussion. Um, but in this moment of the discussion, the friend looked at the other person in the eyes and says, I see you in there. I'm like, whoa, that was like, a, that was like a shot. But the reality is we need to recognize that people themselves are not necessarily our problem. But there's a bigger picture that wants to derail you, that wants to get you off your focus. And anything that, you, anything that can have your mind not on God is a win for the enemy as far as they're concerned. Amen? Amen. If you choose to hold on to offenses and you don't forgive someone for what they may have done or neglected to do, then you're in danger of stunting your own spiritual growth. It's like, you've heard Pastor Rick say, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. You're, you're going to stunt yourself if you're, if you're keeping feelings of hatred against people and not forgiving people. Because whenever we hold on to an offense, we're inviting the enemy to waltz right into our lives and make a mess. Do you believe what they did to me? I'll get them. You know what? I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to plant the bad seed with this person so that now they won't be their friend. They won't talk to them. It's poison. It's poison. And it makes a mess of things. Hebrews 12 says it like this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitter root grows from, from the seed of an offense. If you've been offended, the bitter root grows from that. And if it's allowed to grow, meaning if you don't quench it, if you don't make a decision to forgive, but if you're holding on to the, the feelings of resentment or hatred, it will cause a world of hurt and trouble and more people will be affected by it. And you're one of the people that will be affected by it. So don't let conflict or opposition become an offense that spreads throughout your life and into the lives of others. Again, easier said than done. But understanding how you start to play chess as opposed to playing checkers is, a, is, is the key. You need to understand you're not playing chess. How do I start playing chess? What, what's, 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 what's the enemy want in this situation? What does God want in this situation? And figure that out. Figure that out. It's, 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 it's easier to do when you're able to stop, take a step back, and just collect your thoughts, figure out where you are, and then move forward. Pray for people. Love on people. Forgive people. And God will take care of the rest. Amen? Amen? Finally, in addition to knowing Jesus, embracing the growth process, and learning how to deal with conflict, a growing Christian learns to rely on fellow believers. Saul had rejected his teacher's counsel 
when Gamaliel had warned the Sanhedrin to leave the Christians alone. He had rejected that. This is when Saul was persecuting the Christians. But now we see a different man altogether. Because rather than acting on his own, he received the help of other godly men during the three difficult situations I just mentioned. Right? When the Jews in Damascus tried to kill him, his Christian friends helped him. Acts 9, 5. During the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Some Christians were helping him there. When the Christians in Jerusalem rejected Paul out of fear, his Christian brother Barnabas spoke up for him and helped him. Acts 9, 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had been seen, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And when the Grecian Jews tried to kill Paul, the other apostles stepped in. Acts 9.30, when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. I think we often you know, view Paul as this very independent person who didn't need anybody but Jesus. As long as I got Jesus, nothing can stand against me. It's not a, not a false statement. However, if we look at the scripture more closely, we see that Jesus used other believers in his life to minister to him and to give him wise counsel and literal help at times. I'm reminded of that story when there's the, the floods coming and someone's on their roof saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And then someone comes along in a boat, says, hey, come to the boat. Nope, I got this. The Lord's got me. And then someone comes along with a helicopter and says, no, it's okay. The Lord is going to save me. And then the person drowns and dies. And when he goes to the pearly gates, he says, Lord, I, I, I said, please save me. Why didn't you save me? He's like, I sent the boat in the helicopter. Come on. Jesus used other believers to support Paul and to provide counsel to him and, as I said, to literally help him basket out of the wall. Paul always filtered the counsel he received through what the Holy Spirit was saying to him. But he also recognized that God does speak not only in those days, but today, God does speak through other people and uses them to touch our lives when we really need it. Amen? Amen. Now, as I come to a close today, let me ask every Christian here or watching online some important questions. Are you still growing in Christ? Are you still seeking to know Jesus more or are you content with the amount of Jesus you know? Have you recognized that growth is expected and have you embraced that process even though it can be challenging? Or are you staying in your comfort zone? How are you dealing with conflict Are you learning to forgive 
and to release offenses to God, ultimately freeing yourself in the process? How are your relationships with other believers? How are your relationships with other believers who don't necessarily see eye to eye with you on every topic? Do you seek out close friendships with other Christians whom you can trust? Are you a trustworthy friend? Are you learning to rely on others for prayer? Rely on others for support? Do you go to other brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement? for wisdom, for godly counsel? If you can answer yes to all of these questions, then your faith is probably growing. If your answer to some of these questions or to all of these questions is no, then you have some work to do. Then I have some work to do. And God and other believers will help you if you're willing to ask. Now let me speak to anyone who is not a Christian. And by that I mean you have not asked Jesus to forgive you for every wrong thought, word, action, and you have not asked him to become your Lord and Savior the leader of your life. If your heart is not right with God, but you want it to be, there's three simple words that will help you respond to how you might be feeling right now. And if you've been to any one of our VBS programs over the many, many years, you would have heard this. And it's as simple as A, B, C. And A simply means to admit. Admit that you have sinned against God. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short, fall short of the glory of God. So there's no one that in their right state, knowledgeable state, can say they have never sinned. So the first, the first, the, the first letter word is A, and that's to admit that you've sinned against God. B Believe. Believe that Jesus is God's son who died for us so that we could be forgiven and rose again. Don't ever forget that part. And rose again. And C is to confess. Confess to Jesus that you want to make him the leader of your life. You want to invite him to be your Lord and Savior. Admit Believe, confess, ABC. And I promise you, it is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Why? Because it doesn't only affect you here while you're breathing on this planet. It's going to affect your eternity after you've taken your last breath. Most important decision you could ever make. I'm going to ask everyone here to, to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if that's you today, 
if you want to start a, a relationship with Jesus or if you've strayed away and you want to recommit your life to him with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to simply slip up your hand right where you are. And if you're watching online, you do the same thing. Slip up your hand. And putting up your hand isn't magic. It's not a magic trick. It's not, it's not anything magical that's going to happen. It's simply a sign that you are not ashamed or hiding your decision and God honors it. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you've given us examples and direction and guidance. Lord, and how we can live our lives. Father, I, I thank you for the fact that you are a, a living God. Lord, that we have the opportunity and the ability to, to build a relationship with you. You are not a distant God. You are not a God of yesterday, Father. You are an active, living God who wants to have a relationship, a daily relationship with every one of us, who loves us more than we could imagine. The same God that that knit every single stitch of our being together in our mother's womb. Father, the fact that you, you seek us, that you strive to be with us, Father God, to, to, to spend eternity with us, Father God, I'm so grateful for that and I thank you for that. Lord, for those who, who put up their hands to either start a new relationship with you or to recommit their lives to you, Father. Right now, I, I ask that you would fill them with your spirit, Father God. Lord, we stand before you acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, we believe that you came as the sin offering, as the ransom for our lives, Father that you died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and that you rose again and you are seated beside, beside your Father right now, Lord. And Lord, we confess today that, that you are our Lord, our Savior, Father. We say that with no, with, with no, without being ashamed at all. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, Father. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, Father, would, would recognize where they are in their growth stage, Lord, and that today they would make a commitment to start to do all that's necessary to grow closer to you. Father, we thank you for all that you're going to do. We know that your word says that you have started a work in us and you will see it through to completion and we stand on that word, Father. We praise you. We lift you up. And we ask today, Lord, that you be with us and you help us keep on growing. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, 
please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.